akunui e akurahi no mai ano kite hotaka nei a tiahika. This is Tiahika on RNZ. I'm Justine Murray. Today we wrap up this series coverage from a recent New Zealand land law symposium te putake authority. Tamsin Hanley worked as a teacher in mainstream education for 25 years, but today she's pushing for schools and teachers to be more aware of the country's colonial history. In 2016, Hanley self-funded and published CPR, or Critical Program Resource, a series of books for dummies, as she describes it, suitable for people who have absolutely no knowledge of Māori and Pākehā relationships or the impact of colonisation in the country. Instead, she says that most schools teach what she describes as the standard history based on Cook's discovery. The standard story is a kind of grand colonial narrative of New Zealand history. It's the common common sense version, okay? And it uses discourses to ensure that histories of contemporary problems are seen as unavoidable. Coming up, we'll hear highlights of Tamsin's presentation as recorded at Te Pūtake Authority Symposium hosted by Te Whare Wānanga o Awanuyarangi in Whakatāne. Earlier this week, I caught up with Tamsin from her home in Auckland to get a sense of why she felt there was a need to create change within the school curriculum. So you grew up with, a, as I understand, an artist father and a photographer mm. mum, where yes, your, household, right. your household is very much attuned to things creative, uh, yes. political. Our whanaunos were both um, artists and activists, political activists, both of them. So we were political right from the word go, I guess, critical thinkers. When I was 18, I left school, and I'd been to mainstream schools my whole life, and I hit Bastion Point, uh, the Bastion Point occupation. When you say hit, what do you mean by What I mean, like at 18, I came out of school, and I had a kind of Māori sovereignty issue, and I feel, and my school hadn't prepared me for dealing with uh, Māori and Pākehā issues, bicultural and treaty issues, because my schooling had taught me I didn't learn anything about things Māori, Māori culture, I didn't learn accurate histories, I didn't learn about the treaty, didn't learn about being Pākehā, nothing like that um, in my schooling. So I was really mad that my schooling hadn't inf- kind of informed me enough in civil issues around the 80s that I was growing up in, I made a decision, a life decision to kind of start learning Māori language and culture and accurate issues and the treaty. So you're 18, you're becoming more politically, culturally aware, mm-hmm. and then did you go to teachers' training college from there? Yes, I wanted to te- become a teacher so kids wouldn't feel that inadequacy that I felt. Well, at what point did you think to yourself, hang on, something's missing here? So basically, none of my colleagues were doing the same material. And so I did that when I started my MA and I finished it. While I was asking the question, what accurate histories are we actually teaching um, New Zealand in the classrooms? The findings were that most teachers only know um, what I call a sort of New Zealand standard story which is like the grand colonial narrative of New Zealand history, where Cook um, discovered the country and the English version of the treaty is the accurate treaty and 
Māori and Pākehā have the best race relations in the world. All those ideas are from the standard story, and it's inaccurate. So what I decided, because generations of us have been raised on the standard story, which is completely inaccurate, and it means that we are very ignorant about what's happened, and that's for all ethnicities and generations of us. You largely self-funded it, didn't mm-hmm. you? Yes, so did. you had to be one passionate lady to do this co-papa. Yes. I went to the ministry several times and they said they wouldn't fund, this was the national government, they said they wouldn't fund uh, writing curriculum anymore and to go private, so we put a mortgage on the mortgage of the house to pay me a wage part-time while I read for all the books, academic historians. Have you, have you had any criticism? About 98% of people were fully support uh, the work. Definitely had some Māori people say to me, um, you need a Māori person, you know, this could be a Māori person doing the PD with you. And my response was, yes, that's right. And if I had funding, you know, we, we would have been able to do that. But because I was personally funding it, I couldn't afford to pay someone else to do it. Mm-hmm. Here we feature highlights of her recent presentation. Now, while I was doing this work, none of my colleagues really were doing this kind of content, of course. So I did an MA where I was asking, okay, what accurate histories are we teaching in our classrooms? And these were some of the um, findings, that most teachers felt that they knew very little accurate history or they knew what I call now the standard story of New Zealand education. Most teachers felt that they were monocultural and avoided anything controversial and also had a belief still that our young people couldn't do it. Teachers were desperately keen to teach the content, but they needed support. The standard story is a kind of grand colonial narrative of New Zealand history. It's the common common sense version, okay? And it uses discourses to ensure that histories of contemporary problems are seen as unavoidable. So all of our society's resources are used to legitimate these ideas. It is presented as an accurate account when it isn't an accurate account. When you read revisionist historians, you realise it isn't. It sustains our amnesia about what's happened here. I was raised with this information. Any of you nod your head if any of those ideas were given to you by someone in your life at some point. Yeah? Some of us? Kapai. So many teachers are still teaching from this place. Okay, right now, in schools all around the country, because they don't have any alternatives. So it's not our fault, we don't know, because it's been deliberate part of the processes of colonisation in this country have ensured that generations of us have been raised on this, including our Prime Ministers. It's also not our fault what's happened, but we must learn about it now. So in the um, current New Zealand curriculum, there's a legal obligation that all teachers and educators and boards and principals have to legally enact what's called a treaty principle. And they they don't say what a treaty principle is, they don't give you, tell you resources on it, they don't um, 
tell you how to do it. They just say you have to legally do it. It's another word for this now is being culturally responsible. So that's another thing that we're all legally meant to be in education now and culturally sustainable. I knew from my research and other research as well that there is no way that educators can enact this, the great you know, potential of this treaty principle given what we know, what educators don't know from the standard story. So next I looked at what resources the Ministry was providing with us to enact this wonderful principle. So basically it's completely minimal. Peter Sharples made sure he published before he left Parliament, which is about 50 times better than what we've had, because it's saying to schools they have to have a relationship with local iwi, hapu, and have local curriculum and local histories. My problem, one problem with that document, is it doesn't have the word colonisation in it. If you're understanding and unpacking local iwi, hapu, history, you have to understand colonisation. Missing. Not one of these unpacks the Māori Treaty text or the English version of the treaty, which if you're trying to enact a treaty principle, you have to know that. Basically, under here, our teachers tend to do nice, warm, fuzzy Māori topics like mataraki. We are told in this curriculum that we can study Anzac Wars, but we are not allowed to study... Well, you, the land wars are not mentioned. No New Zealand land wars. It's not until you're t- um, at year 10... When you're 13 and 14, it's believed that you can actually understand the treaty. Only if you choose history and only if your teacher chooses that achievement standard. So for the first eight years of primary and intermediate in this country, this right now, today still, there are schools that are doing none of this content. At the end of secondary, often they usually know about the English monarchy, but nothing about the Māori kingitanga. From 1858, still going today. Uh, of course, there's um, some history teachers who are doing relevant stuff out there, um, but there's no coherent direction about the coverage from the ministry across the nation's schools. Most nation, nations teach their histories. We're not. Uh, these are our stories, all the great ones and the um, difficult ones. The research says for, to do this, teachers need to read up-to-date literature and they need to understand colonisation and take things from the past to the present. That requires PD, professional development, but the Ministry's not doing any of that. So given that I was going to design this a critical curriculum programme resource, I decided it had to have the stuff in it. We have to talk about Māni and Pākehā and Indigenous and settler groups. We have to critique the standard story it has to address current teacher knowledge gaps around things Māori, the Treaty Accurate History and being Pākehā. It also has to have pedagogies for how to teach uh, little people about racism, sexism, class colonisation and wars and all those things. Um, it has to translate academic texts to lower levels. It's got to have three treaty texts, the Māori texts, the literal English translation of the Māori text and then the English version I do professional development with the whole staff and uh, at all secondary, secondary and primary, intermediate and early childhood, as well as kura and punna and kohanga reo. So, and it's uh, cross-curriculum, so it's not just social studies and it's not just history. You can get your arts, maths, technology, science, everything out of them. 
So this six-book overview, this is not deep Māori iwi hapu knowledge. I don't have that, not my place. Māori people are writing. You guys, Pākehā people, are writing that awesome stuff. But this is saying, if you live in this country, here's a beginner's guide of basic Māori worldviews that you should, and Pākehā stuff that, whoops, uh, we need to know if you live in this country and you're going to teach our children. So it's book one starts with um, Te Ao Māori o Nehira. So, of course, uh, like our first speaker said this morning, David, starts in the Māori origin story and the Māori gods because everything comes from them and starts with that. Then there was deliberate exploration from the Pacific and discovery of this country, not Tasman and not Cook, because it's Cook's big year this year in Gisborne and it's all, you know, the conversation is, you know, some people still use the word that he discovered this country, so... That's part of the standard story. Then you had um, deliberate and highly sophisticated migration from the Pacific over thousands of years on di- many different waka. And uh, because in the standard story, we were raised, Māori got here by accident and they were starving. Then you have settlement and becoming tangata whenua communities of functional tribal communities and basic Māori worldviews. Book two does the same thing. We've honoured Māori world. We go the other side to my people. And we do the same thing. We honour those worldviews. But we go right back to the beginning. Celts with my Indigenous people, we were very similar to early Māori. We had communal landowning and multiple gods. So then introduces uh, the Western gods and the Western calendars because you've introduced Māori gods and calendar. And then you've got um, the English class system and the monarchy and European scientific ideas of superiority. So by now... We believe that we were superior to every other culture in the world and gods. Then you've got um, Tasman and Cook and Tupaya is in there. He came with Cook, Tahitian. And then you've got industrialisation and overpopulation, massive poverty, and then the potato famines through all the lands. Uh, and so then all the poor people were encouraged to migrate around the world. So that's book three, where the two worlds meet. Book two unpacks the names Māori and Pākehā, where those names came from. Actually, they have a genealogy to those names, which is very important, so you know what's in the books. But we know now that Māori deliberately sought out literacy in English for trade to be treated fairly and all that, but also they created their own written Māori language in this period too, in that book. We also know that out of the 300 Pākehā who were living here around about that time and 100,000 Māori... There were some Pākehā who were behaving themselves in terms of honouring Māori tikanga. They were honouring Māori laws and living with Māori people and sharing their things and speaking Māori and taking moko and fighting for tribal groups and partnering with Māori women and having descendants of who are here today. They were there, but then there were lots of Pākehā who were being lawless and they weren't honouring Māori laws, and they weren't honouring Pākehā law. Māori were very unhappy about this. They did lots of things in Book 3, but by 1835 they'd had enough, and they wrote the Declaration of Independence, and they sent the letter to the king saying, uh, we declare we are sovereign chiefs of Aotearoa, asking Britain for protection from the Pākehā misconduct at the time. Now, it went to the king, and he legally acknowledged that Māori were the sovereign chiefs of Aotearoa, 
put it in the yeah, put it in the um, colonial office because he did it in the new English newspaper. So um, by the time 1839 came and the pressure was on to come here and annex it, legally they couldn't. And so um, all they could do was propose the idea of a, of a treaty. So Book 4 unpacks all the different pros and cons, both Māori and Pākehā, about the idea of a treaty. And there was all those agendas there. And then it's got how the Māori text was actually written, how it was debated, and then how it was agreed to and signed by two sovereign groups, Hobson on behalf of the Queen of Victoria and Māori people of those chiefs that signed it. Now, um, then it uses an English literal translation of the Māori text to unpack the three main articles, which is similar to the Declaration. One, article 1, Māori would allow some kāwanatanga pākehā, kāwanatanga here, to deal with the conflicts in Pākehā, misconduct and so on. Article 2, Māori continued sovereignty over themselves and their resources and agreed that if they did sell land, they would only sell it to England, not the Wakefield and the French. And Article 3, that they got equitable British citizenship rights, which they needed because they were treated, they were being treated very unequitably sometimes. So then it says um, how then... A, how the English version of the treaty was introduced. And in the English version, it's got a different Article 1, which says that Māori ceded their sovereignty. We now know that Māori didn't do that and that it was not agreed to by the two sovereign groups. It wasn't signed. The English version was not signed by Hobson and the English version was not signed by Māori except for Sheik 9 at Manukau Harbour. Port Waikato, and what we know now is that the hui that the chiefs were having was in Māori, not in English, so they weren't talking about ceding sovereignty. So Book 5 has every single law that transgresses the treaty, because remember, my people, Pākehā people often don't know about this stuff, you know, and even sometimes Māori people and Pacific people or Asian people, they don't know, so the laws are really important to read, because then you understand what happened. So this is like the colonisation period. And so in there is all the laws going from 1841 right through to the 2000s. It shows you how you went from a historically very strong Māori resource base. Today you've got a, which is now a mostly solid Pākehā resource base in this country and you've got a very fragile and vulnerable Māori population sometimes in this country. As a direct result of that colonisation. Book six is the biggest book of all. It's called Māori Responses and it goes from encounter with Tasman right through to the 2000s and it's got how have Māori people been responding to the laws that that, that are in book five in that colonisation period of all those laws how did they how have Māori people been responding to this? We've got declaration and treaty as I've said and then after the land wars it's got all the pacifist movement so it's been non-violent protests since the land wars till today, uh, foreshore movements and Māori Party movement so it's a beginner's guide for people who know nothing about all this incredibly rich Māori history worldviews as well as today Māori worldviews about land and resources and that Māori people don't own land you belong to it and you caretake for it, and you, you caretake for your river. Whereas in the English world, by the time, in Parker world, by the time we met Māori people and we become a capitalist system, 
we believe that you could own a piece of land and you give a land claim and you give some access, that means you own it forever and ever, amen. Yeah, that, that you could take resources into extinction, like seals and whales and kauri trees. So that's not to say that either of those right, wrong, good or bad, just saying they're both part of the mix of this gorgeous country's history. So there's core information which will challenge the standard story. Now, after that, you've got a section called Activity Possibilities. Nothing's compulsory for teachers. They just have to read it, read the books, and then they can read the ideas and they can select what they, they design their own. And their standard story starts to change when they plan. What happens is a school, they commit their staff to initially read all six books over a time frame, like, say, one book a term for six terms. We have to educate our institutions about the ignorance of our institutions. If you're Pākehā like me and you've, we start learning, you know, a life journey, of course it's a life journey, to, obviously, to start learning about the Māori world and still on that journey now, but um, by understanding what Māori things were, I, I, I start to learn, Māori people, I start to realise, oh my gosh, that's what a Pākehā is. Queer Tamsin Hanley, teacher, educator, and creator of Critical Program Resource, a series of six books tailored for schools to teach critical history. That was recorded as part of the Putake Oteriri Symposium about the New Zealand land wars. Nareira kua ia tenei kaupapa that ends the series. Next week, we join the book launch of Sir Widow Gardner's new book, Akiake Kiakaha E. B Company of the 28th Māori Battalion. Tiahikaz at the book's official launch at the Papaiuru Marae in Rotorua. Koera te hōtaka o Tiahika, that's the show for another week. You can subscribe to the weekly newsletter at rnz.co.nz forward slash tiahika. Or you can look up the show podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or where you access good podcasts. Nā reira, e rere ngā mihi kia koutou katoa. Hei kona mai. I'm
Bye-bye. 